Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... What was really wrong? Why was Israel losing battles? Because they weren't right with God. And they're saying, you know, we need, we need a king that can really go out for us, that can protect us, that can make judgments for us. This thing isn't working. We, we're losing out here. We're getting taken advantage of out here. If we had a real king like everybody else, we'd be in a better situation. That's not the problem. The problem was that these were God's people and they weren't walking in obedience to him. They're going to try to solve their spiritual problem with a political solution. That's always a problem. How often do we neglect the will of God because we think that we know best? Today, Pastor Bill will challenge listeners to guard against this temptation as he teaches on the example of Israel in 1 Samuel 8. Too many times, the Israelites turned to man-made solutions for problems that they faced. May we not make the same mistake. No matter the situation we're in, our first response should be to turn towards God. Are you putting your hope and trust in the Lord today? He wants to sustain you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I titled the message tonight, Give Us a New Leader. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel is going to reject God as their, literally God has been their king, right? God has been the, the sovereign king over Israel um, he has led them. He has provided for them. He has protected them. And could you guys think, could, could there be a better king than God to, to, to govern us, to lead us? But we're going to see that the people say, eh, we don't want him anymore. We want somebody else. We want them other nations. They got a man king. We want one of them with the mother nations got. And so uh, we'll learn some lessons tonight. That's why Tyler chapter give us a new leader because that's what the people cry out for. We're going to learn about the the downside of the permissive will of God, the difference between the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. So let's jump right in. Look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. So it says Samuel was getting old. And he made his sons judges. If you guys remember, Samuel was going on a circuit. Remember that? He was going from area to area judging for the people. And so, you know, he's getting old. And so he raised up his sons and he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, we don't know. We're going to find out a little bit about his sons tonight. We haven't heard anything about them thus far. But we'll find out tonight that his sons weren't really up to par. I'll give a few suggestions as to why that might be. Um, we really don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. Um, some have suggested that because Samuel was so busy going on this circuit from place to place to place, that he wasn't home enough to minister to his own kids. And so his sons, uh, they kind of go astray. Um, I don't necessarily accept that wholeheartedly because what I have seen in Scripture is that there are times when you got good parents that get bad kids. And you get bad parents with good kids. And so sometimes we got to be careful about wanting to, to put that on people because I, I know that there could be godly parents out there doing it God's way, doing it the way God called them to do it. And then they just end up with some kids that are like, we don't accept it, mom. 
we're not taking it. What do you do as a parent when your kids just say, I, I don't want I don't want your God? Yeah, we pray for them. We cry out, we pray, we pray, and we pray, and we pray. But um, it looks like in Samuel's case, and I, and I think this had to break his heart because Samuel grew up since he was a kid in the temple, and he watched Eli's sons run amok in the temple. And, you know, and I'm sure to have his own sons not be up to snuff was probably a difficult thing. Something that caught my attention was it said when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. He put them in that position. And again, it's, we'll see in a little while that, that they went left while they were in that position, but he put them there. He put them in the position of judges. And I guess the, the, the heart of any parent is you would love to see your kids following your footsteps. Amen. Particularly if you're following the Lord, you want to see your kids follow your follow me as I follow the Lord. And so I'm sure that's what Samuel's heart's desire was, but it doesn't work out. And it uh, doesn't end up going that way. Let's look at uh, verse three. It says, but. So we got a transitional word here. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. So Samuel's sons, they weren't like him. You know, Samuel was a man of God. He was honest. He was forthright. He was a stand up guy. But somehow his sons where they didn't walk in his ways. When it says they turned aside, uh, if you look at the, the Hebrew there, the idea is that they were doing okay at some point and then they got caught up. So they may have been doing pretty good at some point and then they turned aside to dishonest gain. At some point, maybe the lucrativeness. Now let me explain the way that they were judging. So they were left in a position where when people had issues or matters uh, where they were fighting over stuff, they would bring it to, they bring it to Samuel, they bring it to his sons. And their sons would, would make judgment on, you know, what should be done, what's right, what's wrong. And so imagine someone in that position, someone said, hey, man, I'm going to pay you. I'll pay you to say I'm right and he's wrong. OK, OK, OK. And so his sons bought into that. You know, they, was, they, was, they were in a position where they could have been used by God to, to bring godly judgment, to bring um, resolution to problems. And instead, it says that they turned aside after dishonest gain. It says that they took bribes and that they perverted justice. So they were in a position to bring justice and they perverted it instead. What do we get from this? Should any of you ever be in a position where you could bring justice? We know that as people of God, God doesn't want us to pervert justice. Amen. God doesn't want us to do sneaky things. God doesn't want us taking bribes. I shouldn't take money from somebody to say a lie. Uh, I shouldn't take money to say something that's not true. I shouldn't turn aside after, you know, I shouldn't be able to be, someone shouldn't be able to pay me enough money to do something that would, would bring grievance to the Lord. And so that was the flaw in Samuel's sons. They could be bought. And um, here's the cool thing here. You know, how do I make sure I'm never in a position where I can be bought? Make sure Jesus is really your king, right? If Jesus is your king, nobody else, nobody else can compete with him. You can't call me off of my position in Christ. I'm already, I'm, I'm already connected right here. And so I've already been bought. And I, the more we understand that Christ has bought me, and I was not cheap. What did I cost? The blood of Jesus. I cost him, his, I cost him everything. You cost him everything. I've been bought once. And I can't be bought again by anybody else or anything else. That should be the position of the believer, the Christian. I've already been bought. 
I've been bought by the blood of Christ. I've been purchased. I cost him everything and he was willing to pay it that I might go free. I can't be bought by some some cheap thing down here. And so Samuel's sons were able to be bought. And I'm sure this was a, a, a grievous thing for Samuel, who was a, a godly man. Look at verses four and five. Now it says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, look, you are old. That's messed up. I'll come back to that. <laughs> look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the other nations. Now, let me just say this is at least rude. They rode up on Samuel. This is all the elders. Samuel has given his life to serve these people. He'd been in the temple since he was since he got weaned off of his mama. So five, six, seven years old, he was dropped off at the temple. He has been there serving God ever since, going on a circuit, judging and taking care of business. Now he's getting a little bit old, and they roll up on him and say, Hey Samuel, brother, you old. You're done for. And, 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 and your sons are not like you. And so it's kind of a, a double whammy right here. They say, you're old, so you're not able to do what you used to could do. And your sons do not walk in your ways. And this is the conclusion that the people come up with. Give us a king to judge us like all the nations. All the nations around us, these are pagan nations, by the way, but they have kings. And I like what that looks like. They got kings that prepare them for battle. The kings have, you know, they, they, do, they take care of stuff for them. We want a king. We're sick of this invisible king that we got. You know, we, we don't want that situation. We want an actual king that we can see. Israel's frustration with Samuel's corrupt sons caused them to seek a king like the pagan nations around them. They could have asked for the removal of Samuel's sons and elected leaders that were qualified. But instead, they thought to throw away with the whole system. Let's do away with this whole system of having judges. We want a king. Now here's what they, this is the problem with what they did. They were seeking a political solution to a spiritual problem. And this is always a problem. When you seek a political answer to a spiritual problem, because what was really wrong? Why was Israel losing battles? Because they weren't right with God. And they're saying, you know, we need we need a king that can really go out for us, that can protect us, that can make judgment for us. This thing isn't working. We, we're losing out here. We're getting taken advantage of out here. If we had a real king like everybody else, we'd be in a better situation. That's not the problem. The problem was that these were God's people and they weren't walking in obedience to him. They're going to try to solve their spiritual problem with a political solution. That's always a problem in our culture right now. There are people that are hoping to fix spiritual issues with political fixes. Um, let me say this, and I know some people would be really upset, but I was praying about this, and it's just true, and I don't, I don't have a problem saying the truth. I will stand on this. I'm against abortion, right? I think abortion is a terrible thing. Uh, I think killing a child in the womb is a terrible Killing a child at any rate, in the womb, out the womb, is a horrible, terrible thing. That's I believe that with all my heart. Now, do I believe the solution to abortion is laws that don't allow it? I don't, right? Because who's aborting the babies? Mamas who had sex and got a baby that they didn't want. When I look at the problem, I'm like, the problem is that first it was fornication. That's a heart issue between a guy and a girl that was fornicating usually. I know there's some extreme cases, but in general, that's the situation. And then, you know, people having sex outside of marriage, fornicate. That's first problem. That results in pregnancies. And then the, the next thing is somebody who would be willing to murder their own child. Like you can't fix that with policies. That's a heart issue. 
Somebody got to get born again and quit fornicating. And somebody else needs to get saved and realize that that's a life and my mistake does not give me the power to take away a life. But you can't fix that by, you can't, that's, that can't be fixed in the, in, the, in the poll office, you guys. Those are hard issues. That's why the church, we can get so ramped up and we got to get these people in to change those policies and fix it. No, we don't. We got to get the gospel out there. Because here's the thing, before we had an official abortion procedure and medical practice, they was aborting babies before this. Y'all know that? And all kind of crazy ways. And so um, somebody there, they're, you know, some people say, well, we we got we to stop murdering by controlling guns. I was in London and y'all know in London, the police don't have guns. And then the people don't have access to guns like we have out here in L.A. So, you know what they do instead? They stab each other. They still killing folk. If you go to the hood in London, I was there. I was there with my, my buddy's church in the, in, in the hood and somebody, some kid got stabbed up at the chicken box store. And it was like, so they can't shoot you. They just going to stab you. You go to prison and nobody got a gun. They will sharpen up a toothbrush and poke you in the neck. Like, anyway, we will not solve spiritual issues with policies and politics. And the church needs to remember that. That our job is to present the gospel that hearts would be changed. That hearts would be turned to God. That hearts that would have been previously given over to sexual sin would no longer be given over. Uh, hearts that previously wouldn't have seen the value in the life of a child would now see it differently because because they they understand it from God's point of view. That's what we're called to do. So Israel here again, they have a spiritual problem um, that they're not right with God and they're not they're not willing to do God what God wants, which is to repent. And so they say, you know what? Give us a king. We're gonna fix this our own way. And uh, and they disrespect Samuel. They tell Samuel, Samuel, you old. You know, you're not getting it done for us no more. And your sons, your sons are trash. Your sons are not like you. Your sons, I mean, they just threw it in his face. Your sons are not godly people. They're not working out for us. And again, the easy solution would have been to raise up some qualified people in that position. But instead, they said, we want to get rid of the whole thing. We want us a king. Notice what they say at the end of the verse, uh, end of verse um, five. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Be careful when you take your cues from the world. When we're looking at non-believers, I want what they got, right? We got to be careful about wanting what they have when what we have is so much better. I think it's always a bad look when Christians are, are pawing after what the world has as though what we have in Christ is not enough. We make God look bad. Uh, when I was a kid, and my mom, you know, would, would send us to school and oh, my mom took good care of us. You know, she fed us. Um, she always sent us with lunch money or food or whatever. And my mom it said it was an embarrassment to her because, you know, how kids be kids are greedy. And even if your mom fed you at home or gave you something to eat at home, when you go to somebody else's house, they got other snacks. They got snacks. Your mom don't let you have them snacks. So you go over there acting hungry. And so, you know, a lot of my mom on her way in the place, she was like, don't y'all don't go asking for nothing. Don't go acting hungry. Don't go in there begging like you ain't eight in a week. It make her look bad It make it look like she ain't fed us, you know, when she has. And so I think for God's kids, it makes him look bad when we're lusting after and longing after what the world has. And God's like, man, like, like it's like he's not good enough for us. Be careful about that, because that's what they're done here. Israel has said. We don't want God anymore. We don't like it. We don't like his way. We want to do this our own way. And so they came up with what they wanted. Look at verses six and seven now. 
It says, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. I love this. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse six is very important. Next time you get mad at somebody, next time time somebody says something that displeases you, next time somebody does something that upsets you, notice it says that this thing displeased Samuel that the people said this. So he didn't say nothing to them. He went to the Lord in prayer. You should write that down. You should mark that in your Bible. That is the right response. When somebody upsets you, turn to the Lord. Before you respond, before you say something, before you react, anybody here ever waited to react and was glad that you didn't do what you was going to do initially, didn't say what you was going to say right away? I've done that many times where I had a knee-jerk thing to say, and I didn't say it, and the longer I didn't say it, the more likely I was never going to say it because it was the wrong thing to say the whole time. Samuel didn't say anything. He he turned his prayer to the Lord. And he said in verse 7, it says in verse 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. God gives Samuel a very important lesson here. God says, Samuel, heed what they're asking, give them what they're asking for. And then God gives him a lesson. Samuel, they didn't reject you. They're rejecting me. You taking it personal. Don't take it personal, Samuel. It's not you that they're rejecting. They're rejecting me. Now, I would say the same principle applies when we're sharing the gospel. And I know I've been guilty of this where I've taken it personal. When I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and they reject it, I I don't like it, you know, particularly if it's somebody close by, somebody that I want you to receive when I'm sharing with you. And if they don't receive what you're sharing, it, it feels like they're rejecting you. But God said, no, no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You're telling them to follow me. You're telling them about what I did for them. You're sharing with them about me. It's not you that they, you're, the issue is not you. They're rejecting me. And that should free us up to be able to just share with everybody. And when somebody rejects you, when someone blows you off, when you've been sharing Christ with them, don't take it personal. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected the Lord. You're just a messenger. I've often said like this, you know, if, if, um, if I was trying to, you know, y'all know I like to play Cupid sometimes. Uh, I, I'm a little rusty right now. I got to get back on my game. But, um, you know, if, I, if there's a situation where you can hook somebody up, you know, I've, I've done, I've, I've had some successes in my day, you know, uh, shooting the arrow where they needed to be. But if I go to somebody, if I, if I walk over to this young lady and say, hey, young lady, my friend over there, brother, brother black hat over there, he really thinks you're something special wanted me to say hi and if she says ugh him ugh, you know and she just just one that's not personal for me now i feel bad i gotta go relay this message what did she say oh well i mean she said she's got she's with someone else right now you know i mean it's not me that she rejected y'all you follow what i'm saying so i shouldn't take it personal i know again i feel sorry for him and i, I thought y'all would have made a nice little match but you know you know your loss or whatever same thing when I'm sharing Christ with someone a little deeper, though, because I do understand that it really is their loss. When I'm sharing Christ with someone, they don't receive it. I know that they're really losing something. You're really missing out on something special. The God of heaven and earth wants a relationship with you, and you're going to miss out on it. That bums me out. It grieves my heart. But I can't take it personal. I can't take personal offense when someone rejects God. So God told Samuel, Samuel, heed their voices and all that they said to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And this is such a, a wise response that he received 
from the Lord. And again, I would encourage you guys to take to be careful not to take people's rejection of God personal where you start fighting with them over it. Don't do that. Give them some space and pray for them and maybe try again another day. They aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Look at verse eight and nine. Now it says, according to all the words which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you. God says, Samuel, furthermore, what they're doing to you today is what they've done to me or my whole, my, our whole history. God says, from the very day that I brought them out of Egypt to this present day, they have forsaken me and served other gods. So it's no surprise, Sam, that though you've been their leader all these years, though you've been a faithful judge all these years, no surprise that they're doing the same thing to you that they did to me. This is the kind of people that they are. These are unfaithful people. It's not you, Samuel. It's them. And this is what God is telling him. If you're a note taker, write down John chapter 15, verse 18. Jesus in preparing his disciples for what it was going to be like to, to minister the gospel in the world in which they were in. He warned them that it wasn't going to be easy, that the same way people felt about him, they were going to feel about you. And so Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. It's not a new thing. It's not, it's not a new idea that the world don't like you. They didn't like me neither. And so it's okay. Just be, be, be accepting of that when it happens. And so now verse nine, God gives uh, Samuel uh, a command of uh, what to do. He says, now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So God says, you can give them what they want, but I want you to warn them of what these kings are going to do to them when they come. Now, I, I'll talk a little bit at the end of the message about the permissive will of God. But here God is saying, I'm going to give them what they want. And I want you to know that this is dangerous. This is this is not what we want. Right. God has a perfect will for us. We want we want God's perfect will for us. We don't want when God says, OK, fine, go ahead, have that. That's not what we want. You don't want God to say, oh, you know what? That's what you want. Go ahead. Sometimes people are pushing and pushing and they God give me one. Ah, man, they're crying and begging and pushing. And God has already said, no, this is my will. And we're pushing and pushing. And I think the scariest thing in the world is for God to say, go on then. Go on then. I think that's a scary place to be in because one thing you know is that's not where God's blessing is going to be. That was not the intent. That's not what I wanted to do for you. I wanted to do something so much better. But go on. I don't know if any parents have ever had to do that with a kid. They had to go figure it out for themselves. So you say, go on, go on, go on, figure it out. Go on and see for yourself. Essentially here, God is saying, go, go ahead. I, I, I had a perfect will. The perfect will was me governing over you guys. But now that you guys are rejecting me, you want a man? You want a person? You want a king? Who's the first king that they get? And he looked good when it started. We'll see in a little while, right? Saul started off real good, but anybody know what happened with Saul? It went downhill fast. Saul looked like, he looked like, because their biggest enemies were the Philistines. They got giants. Saul looked like a good king because the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller. They say, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Our king is big. He's swole. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? We ready for the battle. And, and what happened when Goliath rolled in? Did Saul step? Saul was like, 
whoever will step up and fight him, I will give you one of my ugly daughters as a wife, and, and I'll free you from paying taxes. And, uh, and he jacked up David with that deal, <laughs> and he gave him Mikhail. But anyway, I don't know that she was ugly, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's what Saul did, right? He didn't, he didn't step up. He didn't go to battle. He didn't show up. And, and it got worse and worse and worse and worse from there. And so this is the beginning of the end of them having God govern them. It's a bad situation for Israel. You've just heard a transforming word brought to you by Pastor Bill Buffington. First Samuel is where we've been reading, and there's so much to take away from this book. Did you realize that many of the Psalms were written during the time that these events were happening? For much of this book, David was running from Saul. Wouldn't it be strange to be an arch enemy of your best friend's dad? Even though you didn't do anything deserving of death, you feel like a fugitive. And somehow, you found yourself in this situation where you're running for your life. This was much of David's existence in the book of 1 Samuel. He was doing great things, but King Saul was jealous of him and felt threatened by him. So he wanted to remove David completely from the upcoming kingship of Israel. Do you feel like you're on the run, undeserving of the circumstances you're in? Or are you on the other side, feeling jealous and insecure about another person, looking for their downfall? In either case, these two men needed God's help. One chose to rely on God, and the other turned away. Which direction will you choose? If you like the message you just heard, we're so glad. You'll find more solid teachings like this one from Pastor Bill Buffington at calvaryinglewood.org. Will you prayerfully consider spreading the good news with us? If this interests you, you can find the Give tab on our website. Don't forget, that's calvaryinglewood.org. This ministry is an outpouring of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for listening today to A Transforming Word.